case you do not believe that God has a sense of humor, it was only when I started to think that I had emerged from everybody else in the house getting sick that I had made it unscathed. It was at that very moment I started to realize that I had gotten it indeed. And so I'm now working on the family cold. Hopefully it will end with me rather than get passed back around. But if you wonder why I'm singing even a little more off-key than usual, uh, that's why. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, the story of Acts is a story of a people boldly following your word out into the world. Trusting in you, following wherever you lead, obeying the Spirit's call. And so Lord God, here in this quiet place, here now we pray that your word will continue to lead, that your word will stir things up within us. And that we will, with obedience, follow wherever you may lead. That with endurance we may pursue you to the end. With faithfulness we may cling to the hem of your robe. And that with complete trust we may cast ourselves into thy tender care. Be with us now as your word is read and proclaimed. And call us deeper still to that still more excellent way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we continue our journey through the book of Acts. Uh, in Acts 5, last week, we have this story of Ananias and Sapphira. And so we're, kind of, we're going to jump ahead to the beginning of Acts chapter 6 this week with what I believe is a, is a really important decision made by the early church. And yet I want to just capture real quickly the, the second half of the fifth chapter of Acts. And so what happened is the apostles, you know, the early church is out preaching the name of Jesus Christ. They're proclaiming uh, the power of His name. They're healing people. It's just this, this wonder, wondrous time in which God's Word is alive in the world and people are responding and the church is growing and there is opposition. The leaders of the temple who believe that this is some, some wayward cult are trying to stop the church. They're trying to, to kind of put the lid on this movement. And so the, the apostles are, are arrested, some of them, and they're put in jail, and then God, God delivers them out of jail, He opens up the prison doors, and they go out, and so eventually the, the council call, they call together and they're trying to figure out what to do. And in chapter 5, uh, verses 34, there was this wise member named Gamaliel, and he says, I want to read this, starting in verse 35, he says, Consider carefully what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men joined him, but he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and disappeared. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up. He got people to follow him. He perished, 
and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. Because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may even be found fighting against God. 2,000 years later, as we stand in that same tradition, we can say with glee that he was right. This is a movement of God and it shall not be overthrown no matter what the world throws at us. If human origin, if the apostles had gotten together and thought all this up on their own, what they're saying, this will fall apart. That it is of God. And so, in Acts chapter 6 verses 1 to 7 is our text for today. We're talking about the centrality of the gospel and we're talking about the importance of service. Now, during those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists, Hellenists are Greek Jews, uh, they complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What's the most important thing? Uh, there's an old movie called City Slickers. It's probably 20 years old. But in it, Billy Crystal goes out on a um, cowboy trip out west. And through it all, uh, Jack Lance is the older, wiser sage who's trying to teach him about the most important thing in life. And he says it's this. And Billy Crystal, for the life of him, can't figure it out. Until the whole movie, he figures out what he was trying to say. Is that the most important thing is one thing. And we each have to figure it out. But it's one thing that we need to focus upon. And that needs to be our North Star. Our guiding light. And so I think it's important to think about what is the most important thing. And this may change depending on circumstances or hobbies. Let's say you're a skydiver. Somebody who enjoys jumping out of perfectly working airplanes for recreation. 
What's the most important thing? Having a nicely working parachute, right? If you don't have that, nothing else really matters. Or, let's imagine that you work on a bobsled track. What's the most important thing? Not standing in the track when the bobsled is coming down, right? You know, we learned that in the Olympics last week. There was a guy who ignored every warning and luckily survived it when he got hit by a bobsled, broke his legs, but he forgot the most important thing, not standing in the way of the bobsled. What's the most important thing? We have to consider this and let that guide us. What's the most important thing in your life? What's guiding you? What's leading you? What's the most important thing for the church? What's guiding us? What's leading us? The church should be fully centered around the gospel. Right? We should be centered around the life and the proclamation, the word of Jesus Christ. That should be the single most important thing. That whenever we gather to worship, whenever we gather to fellowship, whenever we gather to serve, the centrality of the gospel needs to be the most important thing. That whatever we're doing is focused on Jesus Christ. If we lose that, if that drifts off and we let something else become our focus, then what distinguishes us from another social club or just some other gathering of like-minded individuals. It's our worship of Jesus Christ that is the most important thing as a church. And we have to constantly evaluate ourselves to make sure that Christ is at the center of our fellowship, that Christ is at the center of our life together. And what we see here in Acts chapter 6 is the early church is presented with this exact question, with this situation of what's going to be the most important thing. So what's happened is in the early church there's a daily distribution of food for the widows in the church. They're caring for the widows. But not all the widows are being cared for. These Greek Jews have started to complain because their widows are not being included in the daily distribution of food. And they think that that's wrong. And so they go to the leaders of the church and they say this needs to be corrected. And so they gather the whole assembly together. And now what could have happened is that they could have said, this is a crisis, and we need to direct all of our energy on this, on making sure that these widows are going to be cared for. We need to, to focus the whole direction of the church on this one situation to make sure it's cared for. And then what would have happened when that was finished? Something else would have come up, right? And they would have gone from that to here's another crisis, and let's focus all of the energy of the church on that. And then after that, there would have been another, and another, and another. And the early church would have turned into this group of people focused on putting out these little fires, one crisis after another, and just trying to manage day-to-day -day life to where everybody was happy. And eventually, they would have torn themselves to pieces, right? But what do they do instead? 
Instead, in verse 2, they call the whole community together and they say, it is not right that we should neglect the Word of God in order to wait on tables. They say the Word of God is the single most important thing. Our proclaiming the Gospel to the world is most important. Our keeping of the worship and proclamation of Christ is the center of our life together. And we can't let ourselves get distracted from that. We will keep our focus on this. They're refusing to get drawn into focusing all of their energy on the crisis of the moment. But, they also have a solution. And notice what their solution is. Verse 3, it says, Select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. In essence, they say select seven of the best members of the church. They say, yes, this is a serious problem. We're going to take it seriously. We're going to send some of our best resources to address this situation. We're not going to detract from our focus and our worship of the Word of God. We're not going to detract from our preaching, but we're going to take this seriously and we're going to send some of our best resources to serve these widows. This is so important to the church. It's worthy of some of our best resources. But we're not going to let it detract us from our primary vision. From our proclaiming the word of God. They say we will devote ourselves to prayer. And to serving the word. So what do they do in two parts? They say we're going to stay focused. And yet we're going to put some of our best resources towards this task. They follow their vision. They follow Christ's vision for the church. And as a result of that, in verse 5, it says, What they said pleased the whole community. That never happens. Think of the last time that a whole group of people agreed on one thing. Surely this is of God, right? But they address it wisely. And so the question is, what does this mean for us? today. Why do we read this? Why do we focus on this? And I think the question for us is how do we look at our lives honestly and ask, is the gospel in the center of our lives? Is the gospel the most important thing for us? Is the word of God central in our days? Do we keep it in front of our minds? Do we keep it in our hearts? So that as we go throughout our day, we're constantly aware of Christ at work in our lives. This is what the church did when they made this decision. They said we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the Word. And it's what we need to do too. How do we devote ourselves every day so that we're allowing the gospel to be the most important thing in our lives? We're allowing our relationship with Christ to be what defines us. How do we make sure that Jesus Christ is the most important thing in our lives? 
I think well, you know, one of the things we need to think about, when we first get up in the morning, how do we set the tone? How do we start our day rooted in an awareness of God's great love for us? How do we start ourselves and, and begin our day so that we launch from a place of God and we go out into the world carrying that within us? How can we put routines in our lives so that we're keeping Christ at the center? And then as we go throughout the day, crises will arise. We all know that. Things come up. Sometimes there are opportunities to serve. Sometimes uh, there are opportunities to reach out and love. And when those come up, we need to devote our best resources. But all the while keeping our primary vision on Jesus Christ. Because what can happen, we have a choice in life. We can go with direction and with vision towards Christ, or we can drift from one crisis to the next. Something flares up and we address it, and then something else flares up, and something else flares up, and one thing to the next, and we just jump from thing to thing to thing, and we get to the end of the day and we're exhausted. And we say, what did I do today? But if we set our vision on Christ and allow that to guide us, and we don't allow anything to distract us. Then we move with purpose and direction. And we let Christ mold us. Verse 7. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem. When we set our vision on Christ, Christ grows within us. Our lives are molded. We become more like Christ. We grow as disciples. God does a work in us. Because that's what God wants us to become. He wants us to be like Him. He wants to redeem us, to, to repair us. Because remember, in, in Genesis 1, how were we created? In the image of God. God wants to restore us to that condition. God wants to wipe all of the sin away. God wants to remove all of that, the, the stain that is built up on that image. God wants to remove that to heal us so that we will dwell with Him in unapproachable light, in perfection. It's God's intent, God's desire for us. May we keep Christ as the most important thing and let Him grow us up as disciples. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, we pray that You give us the wisdom and courage to keep You at the center to focus on You in all that we are doing, to let You lead us, to build us up as disciples, that we may proclaim Your name, and that all of our works may bring glory to You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
part of us who know the depths of our hearts, who know our very souls, you know our greatest joys and our deepest hurts, you know the heartaches that we would dare never share with the world, you know our best moments and Lord, you know our worst moments. And you love us all the same. You love us with an ungrateful love. You love us with a love that knows the depths of heartbreak. And you continue to love us even though we have turned from you. You love us and you love us and you pour out your grace upon us. And you call us back into this covenantal relationship. You call us back to live in the light of that love. And Lord, when we didn't listen, you saved your own Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. That we might grasp the fullness of your love. The fact that you would go to every expense to win us back from sin and despair and death. You shattered the power of death. You broke the back of sin. And you give us light you give us hope. You give us truth. You give us life. You feed us, Lord. You nourish our souls. Those deep wounds that we carry, you bind those up. The blindness that we have, you open our eyes. The brokenness and despair, you give us hope. The tears of mourning, you turn to dancing. Lord, you transform us. You, train, you change our lives. You change who we are. Cover us with the light and the love of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we come as we are to you, Lord, and we pray. We pray for the world. We pray for our loved ones. We pray for our community. We pray for the church around the world. We lift them up to you, and we trust in you and in your wisdom and your power. We pray that you may guide us, Lord, to be carriers of your light, Take your life into the world that others may know hope and life and love and laughter in you. We pray for the Grayson Hall family. We pray for hope beyond death for them. We pray for Carolyn and for Norma and for Connie and so many others who, who suffer with ongoing debilitating illness, who deal with cancer and pain. Lord, we pray that they may find strength in you, that they may find comfort in the Holy Spirit, that they may look to a suffering Savior and see one who understands what it is to suffer and yet still triumph. And so Lord, we pray that our eyes may be fixed on you. We pray that your Holy Spirit may reanimate those parts of us that have grown cold, that you may awaken us to the beauty and the delight of the world around us, and that everywhere we look we may see you at work in the world, that wherever we turn our eyes, we may be reminded of your great power and the love with which you love us. And may we consistently and unceasingly pray as you taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into 